What a blessed people we are in so many different ways. I think about all the blessings that we enjoy as Christians, the fellowship we enjoy with one another. But one of the greatest blessings that you and I have is we have a Bible which has already been collected together. It's not in separate pieces. It's one contained book. And within it, we can see God's interaction with man going back to the very beginning of time from Adam all the way to the consummation of the ages that will be found at the end of the book of Revelation. As we've been studying on Sunday evenings our favorite Bible passages, some of you have handed me various passages on our visitor cards and say, I really would you love for you to preach on mine. And I have tried to work some of those in, but the truth is I'm the preacher and I get to work mine in first. So uh, uh, some of these are passages which I have had a great love for for a long, long time. And you know, many have chosen the book of Psalms as their favorite book. And I found myself having to go through and say, I can't preach on every psalm. But the truth is, is that going back to the time when I was a little child, I was in Sister Verdi Collins' class at the Bethel Church of Christ in Vernon, Alabama. Sister Verdi believed that every little fella and every little girl in that class ought to memorize some of God's Word. And I can probably, before I was able to read real well, was taught the 23rd Psalm and the 100th Psalm. In fact, she wanted you to know those before you left her class. And so the book of Psalms is one of those tremendous passages, books, that has some great favorite passages. But when you get to Psalms 122, it had a special meaning to those Jews who went to Jerusalem every year. And I believe that this passage can have some great meaning to us as well. And so what we're going to do is to only study two points in our lesson tonight. We're going to look at the text. We're just There's not a lot of uh, verses there, so it won't take long for us to look at the text. And then I want us to draw from that some teachings which will help us as we try to live our Christian lives. Let's begin. Let's look at verses 1 through 9. That's the whole psalm. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go up to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For thrones are set there for judgment the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, peace be within you. Because the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Now, this is a part of what is a group of psalms known as the Songs of Ascents. 
And I know you may not understand what that involves, but there are 15 of them. From Psalms 100 and chapter 20 to Psalms 100 and chapter 34. And what you have to see is they were sung by the pilgrims. That is, those people who were going to Jerusalem every year at those three feasts. You know, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And as they would make their journey to Jerusalem, they would sing these songs. And they were words that had great meaning to them. And you can visualize already, as you read through that psalm, how these would have such precious meaning to them. But the word ascents, or if you're looking in your Bible, it may say songs of degrees, means steps. In other words, as you're approaching Jerusalem, you're going up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's an elevated city. And as you're going up there, you're making your steps, you're getting a little bit closer. And there's a little more joy, a little more anticipation with every step you take. But the tradition says that those Jewish priests, as they were ascending those steps, there are 15 steps, as you go up to the temple area, that they would sing a psalm for each step of Psalms 120 through 134. You can imagine the ceremony as they stood on that third step and as they sang, or I guess it's the fourth step, as they sang Psalm 122, because uh, Psalm 120, first, 121, 122, third step, as they were going up those steps there. As you start looking at it, I think you can really break the chapter down into three parts. The first part in verses 1 through 3 is the sight of happiness. There was a lot of joy when you saw it. Notice how David puts it like this. I was glad with joyful anticipation. You know, there's times in my life, and I'm sure there's been times in everyone's life, when there was something that someone said, we're going to go there. This is going to happen. And with you, and there is with me, there's this thrill. I can remember in 1972, around November, my daddy coming in and saying, they built this new place in Florida, in Orlando, called Disney World. Not Disneyland, Disney World. Would you like to go? You're about a 12, 13, 14-year-old boy. Would you want to go to Disney World? I was glad. It was something of joyful anticipation as you drive that long, long, long trip there. The, the anticipation grows. What are you going to see? As you have announced, you're going to have a child. And the doctor says, your due date is this date. Or if you're a grandparent, you know you're going to have a grandchild. The thrill, the joy that is there, that's the kind of expression, I was glad, I was joyful. And he goes on to say, when they said, let us go up to the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord at this time, when David speaks, is the tabernacle. Later on, it became the temple. But what made it special was this is the place where they would go to meet the Lord. Anytime you can go somewhere and meet God and know that God is there, but 
for the Israelites, this was a special place. If you'll remember, for those of you who are studying with us on Wednesday nights, as Jesus came to the city of Jerusalem, he has crossed over the Mount of Olives, and they have now, while they're on the Mount of Olives, see that beautiful, beautiful temple which Solomon had built and which Herod had uh, further embellished, made it so beautiful. Mark chapter 13, verse 1 says, Then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. This is a grandeur. This is beautiful. In fact, Josephus describes it as being like a, a gold glistening mountain when a person would look at that beautiful temple. In Luke's account, in Luke 21 and verse 5, then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, you see the picture of it. As these people arrive, the thrill of being able to see that. You know, today, on that same spot, is not a temple of the Lord, but is a Muslim mosque called the Dome of the Rock. And even though it's not God's building, every time I get to go to the Mount of Olives and look over that place, I'm just impressed with the beauty of it. But you see, that wasn't what it was about. It was about going up to worship God to the city of Jerusalem. And so David continues, Within your gates, O Jerusalem... The joy of being inside this walled or compacted city. You know, you walk through the gates, and once you walk through the gates, you're inside. As opposed to being outside. You know, I think it's wonderful. As you read the book of Revelation, John pictures one going into the place where God is at. And listen to chapter 22, verse 14 and 15. Blessed are those who do His commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs, sorcerers, and fornicators, and murderers, and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. The picture that John is painting for us is that once you go in the gates, you're in a place of safety. You're in a place away from all the bad stuff. Chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, when John is picturing the, really the place of the church, he said, Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood and sang, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple. And do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. The picture is that John is giving is that you once you get inside, oh, that's where the blessings are to be found. What's on the outside is left out. And so the picture of Jerusalem, here's a person coming up. They're going there to worship God. They're going to the house of the Lord. And they've gotten inside the gates, that compacted city. The second thing that you notice is not only 
is it a sight of happiness, it is a source of holiness. Look with me now at verses 4 and 5. He says, to the testimony. When I say that word testimony, I, I have an idea of mine about you know, somebody giving uh, some sort of report in a court. That's the wrong idea. The testimony, if you'll notice in most of your Bibles, is capitalized because it refers to something specific. It refers to the Ark of the Covenant. Notice Exodus chapter 30 and verse 6. And you shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet you. I want you to visualize in your mind, you are coming up to the city of Jerusalem. You're going to the house of the Lord. You now have entered into the gates of the city. But where are your heart? Where is your heart located? Where are you wanting to go? I want to go where God is. Where is that? That's where that testimony is at. And that's a place of holiness. And there he says, to give thanks. Oh, what all God has done for us as a people. As providing directions for us. This is the important place to which we will go. And then I want you to notice the phrase. He says, there are set there, thrones are set there for judgment. I pondered that one quite a bit until I recognized what a throne is for. This throne here is a throne for judgment, for rendering a decision. A matter of right or wrong. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 8. If a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge between degrees of guilt for bloodshed, between one judgment or another, or one punishment or another, matter of controversy within your gates, then you shall arise and go up to the place which the Lord your God chooses. I want you to understand what this place represents. Not only is it a place where the testimony of God is to be found, but this is a place where whatever problem you have, the answer is there. There's no other place on earth like it. You go there and if you've got a controversy, you've got a problem, you need to know how to resolve it. There you can find the blessing of an answer. The third part of that is found in verses 6 through 9 where he's not only talking about a side of happiness or a source of holiness, but now he's talking about the seeking of harmony. And I really think verses 6 through 9 have some great principles found in it. There are three key words that are found there. They all begin with the letter P. And I didn't design that. They're there already. The first one is to pray. In fact, he's going to say pay, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But you'll notice this idea of prayer. This building that is there, you remember we studied 
from Luke chapter 20 on Wednesday night was to be called a place of prayer. That's where people went up to pray. When you go to Acts chapter 3, Peter and John go up to the temple because it's the hour of prayer. And Jesus taught us what we should do when we pray. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. What Jesus taught was to pray for a number of things, giving honor to God, to asking God's will be done on earth, your kingdom come, which and for our sakes now, as it has already come, to pray for our forgiveness as well as we forgive others. But we focus on God's will. And focusing on God's will is to pray for Jerusalem here, he says. The second thing, he says, pray for peace. That second letter or second word that's the key word here. And peace is actually the meaning of the name Jerusalem. Do you remember as the Hebrew writer talked about Melchizedek, king and priest of Salem, which is first king of peace? That's the meaning of Jerusalem. And you say, well, I... Have they ever had peace in Jerusalem? Yes, they've had peace there. Just not frequently lately. But I want you to notice this idea of peace there. Let's go to Jeremiah 29, verse 7. And there he's talking about the children of Israel, of where they will be placed as they go into captivity. And here's the way he says it. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. God said, wherever I send you, I want you to pray for the peace of that city. If Jerusalem is so important in God's plan, certainly they ought to be praying for the peace of that city. Now we recognize that there wasn't peace. But why wasn't there peace many times? It wasn't because of God. It was because man had perverted God's plan for that city. In Ezekiel 13 and verse 16, he says, That is the prophets of Israel who prophesy concerning Jerusalem, who see visions of peace for her when there is no peace, says the Lord God. There were people saying, you can live any way you want to, you can do anything you want to, and God will still bless Jerusalem. And God said, that's not right. When you pray for the peace of Jerusalem, Jerusalem's got to be like God wants it to be. Isaiah 48 verse 22 says, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. So if we're going to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, you've got to pray that Jerusalem will do what God wishes. But then he uses the word prosper and then the word prosperity. And the point is, if Jerusalem prospers, you prosper. 
If Jerusalem is doing well, you do well. And for just a few moments, what I'd like to do, I'd like to take that great passage that I know every Jew who was going up to Jerusalem had a full appreciation for. Look where we're going, look what we're going to enjoy. And let's take that now to us. Because there's got to be an application for us. Under the Old Testament, the worship of God was in a place. Jerusalem. That's where God had put it. Today, the worship of God is not in a place. It's in a people. It's in the church. And folks, understand, the church is not this building. The church is right here. The church is the people. How do I know that? John 4, verse 21 and verse 23. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. It's not going to be Mount Gerizim. It's not going to be the Mount of Jerusalem, either one. Really? Verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Do you mean then that you can worship God in Corinth, in Philippi? Yes, because the worship is no longer in the place, it's in the people. Jesus tried to make that point to the people in Luke 17 and verse 21. Nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. You're not going to be able to point to a place. You're going to see it within the people. When Paul wrote the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, He wanted them to see that they had become the temple. He said, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are? The word you there is in the plural. He's saying you, the congregation at Corinth are the temple of God. God's Spirit dwells within you. The church. And also Ephesians 2, verse 21. In whom the whole building, fitly framed together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And you can say, well, what's the point of what you're trying to say? David said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go up into the house of the Lord. He was talking about going to Jerusalem and enjoying worship there at that place. You see where I'm going with this? Now, we're not talking about the place. We're talking about coming together, which means the parallel would be our assembly. What we did this morning at 9 a.m., what we're doing right now, In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, the writer says, And let us consider one another 
in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. Folks, we ought to look at this assembly in the same way that they looked at the privilege of going to Jerusalem. Now I'm going to be a little more specific. They had three times a year in which they had that wonderful privilege. They were appointed times. Let me remind you that upon the first day of the week, when the disciples were gathered together to break bread, Acts 20, verse 7, we assemble each first day of the week. And no loving Jew, loving God, would ever want to miss that privilege. You see, sometimes we talk about our assemblies together. Would I have to go to church tonight? If you ask that very question, you've got the wrong attitude. This is a privilege that we enjoy. It should be a thrill to worship God to where we give Him the glory and the honor. The second thing that I notice out of it is, I think about, I keep going back to those thrones for judgment. And how that you can go there and you can find the answer. And I think about 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We often study verses 1 through 5 from a negative point of view. We study it because of the lawsuits that were among the brethren and Corinth. But folks, think about the positive side of what he says. Let's go back and look at that passage. Dare any of you having a matter against another to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world and if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things pertaining to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? Let me tell you, folks. The most honest, the most capable, the most honorable people in the world are in the Lord's church. And if they are people guided and directed by what the Bible says, you can't go to a better place to find the answer for any problem that you may have. The Ethiopian eunuch on the road going from Jerusalem to Gaza was approached by Philip. And Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And his answer was, how can I accept someone guide me? Philip got up in that chariot. The two of them studied the Bible together. Folks, that's exactly what we're talking about. Number three, the praying for the peace and prosperity of Jerusalem. 
those people needed to pray for that city because that's where they were going to go meet God. You and I need to be praying for this church. Not the building, but this group of God's people. We need to be praying that what we are trying to accomplish for God will be successful. Listen as Paul, as he writes the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 3, or excuse me, 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 and 2. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as is its with you. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. We live in a difficult world. There's a lot that's not peaceful around us. We ought to pray for one another and the difficulties that we encounter. Peace within the Lord's church should be something that everyone should seek for, strive for. Listen to Jesus' prayer in John 17, verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus prayed not only for himself and not only for his apostles, but for everybody who would believe through them. What a powerful prayer that would be if each night as we close our eyes and as we express our heartfelt desires to God that we prayed for the peace of our congregation and for the peace of our brethren. In John thirteen thirty five, Jesus said, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And what greater love could be manifested than praying for someone? The Bible's very clear about avoiding things that tear the Lord's church down. If I'm going to pray for peace, then I ought to be willing to work for peace. Pursue peace. Make peace. Galatians 5 verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. 2 Corinthians 2 2. For if I make you sorrowful, who then is... Makes me glad, but the one who's made sorrowful by me. Sometimes we don't understand. If I tear you down, it hurts me because I don't have anybody to build me up. If I build you up and I encourage you and I help you, and you help me, we make this a much better, more peaceful place. This passage expresses the joy and worship of God's people. You can almost see the words of David just spring out. I was glad when they said to me, let us go up in the house of the Lord. The thrill that is there. And you and I need to have gladness in the Lord's church. As the church got its very beginning, on that day of Pentecost... Luke records for Theophilus by saying, So continuing in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. 
They were a happy group of people, thrilled with the opportunity to be able to serve the living God. But that joy can only come with a right relationship with the Lord. Would you take your song books out now? What a privilege we enjoy to be able to have an opportunity as we are gathered together to meet one another's needs in a spiritual sense. For those who are here and not Christians, what greater joy could you have tonight than to go from this place knowing that all your sins are forgiven. You stand pure and holy before God. You believe that Jesus is the Son, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Him, and be baptized where your sins are washed away. If you're a child of God and you're struggling with sin, we are your brothers and sisters in Christ. We love you. We want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. If you need to respond, please come as we stand and sing.